We're in 2 Kings still. We're going through 2 Kings. We've been just going through 2 Kings chapter 2 um, and looking at the miracles of Elisha. And today we get into possibly his most famous miracle, but maybe the most misunderstood miracle in the whole Bible. Okay? So that's what we're going to get into today. So a lot of pastors won't even teach about this miracle. But I'm a man with a beard. Recognize. Recognize. We are going to teach it. We're going to learn what it has to do with us and, uh, and why God would put, why God would do such a thing and why God would put this in our word that he's given to us. It's very important, actually. So <clears throat> let's pray. Father, we can't understand your word without your Holy Spirit. So we ask simply that you would give us your Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and understanding, Lord, so that uh, your, your word won't be a, a deterrent from knowing you, but it would, it would be something where we run to you. And when we're confused and when it's higher and greater than us, we would understand you are higher and greater than us. Lord, we don't judge your word. Your word judges us. And Father, we ask for humble hearts as we approach your word with fear and trembling. Lord, you are a great God, and we are men, your creation, who you have decided to love and to, and to give us wisdom through your scriptures. So we thank you for this. We're going we're gonna to give you appropriate attention and fear this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So this study is called The Two Bears. And uh, I'm going to subtitle it, Supernatural Judgment. Supernatural Judgment. The judgment of evil is crazy to think about. It's, it's a miracle, but it's not the kind of miracle that we often think about when we think of God. Okay, When we think of God stepping into our lives to make a difference, we think of people getting healed, or we think of uh, people coming having a heart change. But judgment is not the first thing that we tend to think about when we think about miraculous stepping in of God into our lives. But that's what we're going to see today. See, God made the universe and our world and us, you know, he made every life and every person he created lovingly and specifically, you know, with his his care in mind. He said he knit us together in the womb. And some of his creation... You know, not animals, but some of his creation were given this amazing gift of free will. The angels were given this, and we were given this. And God had an intention of all his angels governing and ruling over uh, an invisible realm to us, and then us ruling over the visible realm, and, and all of us being his family together. But the angels rebelled. And why did he give us this free will? It's because... He's putting a little bit of his character into us, which makes us his children. If he can reproduce his character in us, it makes us like him and able to fellowship with him, able to be his children. There's nothing greater than when your kid says, I hate Brussels sprouts, when you hate Brussels sprouts. You're like, that is how it's supposed to work, son. Okay? Like Dana does that all the time. Oh, you're my kid because we have the same taste. You know, she, it's funny. She's very picky. And she's not here to defend herself. I told her, be in service or you're going to be in trouble. 
No, just kidding. <laughs> so these angels took this free will, and they rebelled against God. And you know the first one to do that, his name, Satan, Lucifer, right? Okay. He, he rebelled, and, and then we did also, he, we, we decided to team up with him. But God is, is going to bring all things back into order, evil and rebellion against God as the supreme ruler and as the king of the universe will be put down. It's right for it to be put down, this rebellion. He deserves to be the king because he created it. If you, let's say you are, are a, a chainsaw carver artist, okay, and you create a, 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 a you take a tree and you, you carve it, until it, it looks like a beautiful sculpture, like a bear. I've seen, you guys have seen those, driving down maybe Ridge Road on Littleton. There's that house that has all those chainsaw carvings in its front yard. My grandma used to live on Ridge Road. That's why I mention it. But anyway, you, get, you see it. Okay, well, if you were the guy who created that, you would feel ownership of it. And if, let's say someone comes and they buy your house and they chop down your, your tree that you carved your heart would be hurt. You would, you would be offended at that. Well, God, you are his art. You are his creation. And he deserves to have you be, uh, to, to be honored by you. All, all of creation honors him. And when it doesn't, when it rebels against him, it must be put down. It must be made right. Okay, this is all just... Introduction to kind of set our stage. So by definition, he, he's God, and that means he is responsible to judge the world. He's responsible to do it. No one else is going to do it. He has to do it. And because he's God, he's going to do it perfectly. He's going to do it rightly, because everything he does is perfect. He will take every single sin and demand payment for it to be made right. But people, they don't like being judged. Do you know anyone that's like, judge me, judge me? <laughs> I just think of Angela in the office. I, I do well under judgment, but anyway. Um, uh, you know, I've seen that gangster tattoo that Pete guys have, like, only God can judge me. You guys seen that? In the hood, walking around the hood of Denver? <laughs> we don't really have a hood, but... If we did, you'd see that tattoo. Only God can judge me. And, it, you know, I don't think that means what they think it means. You know, they're saying it in a way of like, I don't like any of you people, so I'll just let God judge me. But I don't think what, that it's really better <laughs> in maybe their situation. You know, the, in fact, there's a huge portion of the Bible that is committed to explaining and teaching what judgment is. It, it's not like God gave us a mystery and just said, oh, I'm going to judge you. Beware. No, he gives us very specific instructions. In fact, it talks more about hell than it does about heaven in the Bible. By like four to one. I mean, it's not even close. And the, here's the crazy thing. In the past, we've seen God judge people, right? We saw Adam and Eve got judged. Thanks, Eve. We... <laughs> God said, God said, you guys are going to have to work. The, the ground's not going to be as fruitful anymore. You guys are going to die if you rebel against me and my ways. We saw they were judged. Then we see the, the world was judged at the flood, right? The whole world was judged. God had no problem saying, I'm going to wipe you guys all out. 
We saw at the Tower of Babel, he judged people again. He took their language and confused all the languages, and he had every right to do so. We go on in, in the past, and we see the sins of believers are judged where? At the cross. You're a well-taught believer. What church do you go to? Just kidding. The sins, our sins, were already judged. And that's where the biggest hallelujahs come up in our hearts is when we realize, I did it yesterday, but it was judged 2,000 years ago. And it's gone already. It's paid for. There's no double jeopardy with God. He doesn't pay for the same things twice. He says once and it's done. Ah, beautiful. Then we see there's going to be a few times where judgment happens in the future. There's going to be a tribulation, which is a judgment on this world, a wicked and unbelieving, Christ-rejecting world. There's going to be a different kind of judgment for us. And the second type of judgment that we're going to see for us is a, a rewards judgment where they're going to go through your life in front of all of us. We're going to go through your life, and anything you did in faith, God is going to reward you with amazing rewards, unbelievable rewards, and you're going to be extremely happy for every moment that you lived by faith. Well, what about all the times I didn't live by faith? Oh, you mean all the sin? Well, that was judged 2,000 years ago. See, when we get to the Bema seat, is what it's called, the reward seat, when we get to heaven, it's going to be a great day. But then after that, there's a different seat called the great white throne judgment. And that's where all unbelievers are judged for their life of sin. They don't get rewards. They don't get rewards. They get judged for their actions, their behaviors. And Hitler will burn this much. And a good person who just rejected Jesus would still burn this much. And there will be differences, okay? God judges rightly. But everyone who rejects Christ, if you show, let's say this, if you die and you wake up and you're at the great white throne judgment, I'm sorry. It is not going to go well for you. Because no matter how good you were, you rejected Jesus Christ. So, you must be judged for the sins you did commit. And that's a, that's a bummer. I don't want you guys to be there. So we proclaim the gospel. We proclaim what Jesus did every moment that we can to every person that we can. Okay? All right. So basically, all of this shows that God should, God can, and God has, and God will judge evil, which is actually a great thing. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't like that God's going to judge everything. Well, yes, you do. Yes, you do. I can guarantee you actually do like it. Because if someone steals your car, who do you call? The authorities. And what do you want them to do? Make it right. And then beat the guy up, too. You want to go a little extra, okay? We want judgment. We want righteous judgment. Every single one of us. Nobody wants it. Oh, you come, come kill my kids. I don't want anything. Uh, no judgment here. No. Everyone wants judgment. Not everyone understands huh, what side of it they're going to be on. And today we're going to talk about the two teams, okay? There's two teams that happen with this judgment. And uh, believers are one team. And rebellers are the other team. I call them that. Believers and rebellers. 
We'll see why a little later. It gives us hope when God judges things because that means God is fixing things. It's fixing things. He won't ever forget any wrong that's been done to you, and he will make it right. Isn't that good? I like that. Um, It's so good to be on his team, but it is so scary to be not on his team. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit. If we worship another God, the one true and living God is deeply offended. Think about that. You're either on his side or not. You worship him or not. There is no middle ground. There is no mercy for the offense of worshiping another God. He created you. He deserves and demands your worship. And it's right. And the judge is coming quickly. So we need to get ready. And that's where we get to our text today. And that is 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. And it says here, Elisha is who we're talking about. He just finished parting the, parting, uh, the Jordan River. And then he made the, the waters of Jericho better. He healed them with salt. Now in verse 23, so he went up from there, from Jericho, and he went to Bethel. And as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. I love this scripture. (laughs) I I read this to the boys, and they're they're like, their eyes get real big, and they're like, what? That is crazy. That is, God made two bears come out and kill 42 kids? Well, hmm. Yes, yes. Then adults start thinking, and we start thinking, wait a second. Is this right for God to do? And that's a good question to ask. And now he did it, which means, yes, it is right for him to do, because he only does what's right. But it, it bothers us that God would allow two bears or make two bears come out and maul these 42 kids. It bothers us. And it's right to bother you. We're going to learn why God chose to do this. And it was to create a response in you, a very specific response. So let's see. We need to first remember the time Elisha is living in. The nation of Israel is pagan right now. They used to worship God hundreds of years ago. Everyone has forgotten about God. Elijah thought he was literally the only person in the entire nation who knew who God was. And God had to come to him and say, hey, calm down. I have 7,000 people that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. It means they weren't like great, but at least they aren't worshiping Baal right now. And so uh, it, it is a dark time in this nation. God's people who are called by his name, they still call themselves Israel, praise of El, El God, Yahweh. They mostly worship demons. And the city, the, the whole nation has no morality. The leaders are all corrupt. Have you read through Judges and First Kings? They are just, they have horrible morality. 
People are being killed. I mean, hundreds of people being killed all the time. Very few people, maybe 1% even know God. And Elisha was just used to part the Jordan and to heal the waters of Jericho. Two miraculous things. And he just took over for the other guy, Elijah, who was extremely unpopular in Israel because Elijah just prayed and caused no rain to fall in Israel for two and a half years. So Elisha isn't, he's, he's his successor and the people are not too happy with God right now. Many of them have died. Many of them know people who have died. And so Elisha has now, he's starting to do these miracles of blessing people. He parted the Jordan. He, he shows victory over death. He, he heals the waters of Jericho, which showing he can bring a new heart. God can bring a new heart to those people who will trust in the risen life of Jesus Christ. Those are the lessons we learned last week and the week before. And now, immediately, he goes to Bethel and he's attacked. Elisha is attacked. And so we read in 1 Peter 4, 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. And we, as the servants, remember, Elisha pictures us, the servants of God. Elijah pictured who? Jesus, right? He's gone up into heaven. He's no longer here. We're the ones serving God here on this earth. And so we must not be surprised as servants of God when we face strong opposition right as God begins to use you powerfully in our city, in our day, in our time. When, when God starts to really move, you better say, get ready. Here come the attacks, right? I asked VK to, to serve as an elder, and immediately his life starts falling apart, right? It was crazy. It's crazy. But he perseveres. He trusts the Lord and... Uh, yeah, ask him about it. I don't know. <laughs> well, we can't be surprised. So Elisha, he decides after healing the waters of Jericho to go up to Bethel. And that's important for us to understand. Remember, Jericho was the dump. Jericho was the place that had no good fruit, right? The water was bad. Well, he just healed it, but it was... It wasn't a great place. There was a little place with some, some believers there and and they didn't really trust Elisha, and so they went to look for Elijah. And so he, he goes from there, he kind of ministers to them, and he goes straight to Bethel. And Bethel was a place that had a long history of being used by God, of being God's place. Jericho had a long history of being rebels. The rebel spies were from there. You know, it, it was a it was not the place that God had done a lot of things, but now God seems to be having mercy on them, doing miracles on them. Now he goes to Bethel, the traditional place of, of where, where God had worked. And what do I mean by that? What had happened there before? Well, remember when we studied Genesis in chapter 28, Jacob had a meeting with God there. 
God appeared to Jacob there. And in chapter 28, verse 16, I'll just read it to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is Bethel. This is none other than the house of God, and it is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose up early in the morning and took a stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on it, and he called the name of the place Bethel. And the name of that city that had been there was Luz previously. But now, so now it, it's, it's got this history attached to it and people would go there saying, oh, there's the thing that, that Jacob set up and that's the rock and, and this is where God actually appeared to him and what a big deal, it's so cool. But now we fast forward a couple thousand years and the kings have come and this city has become a center for the worship of demons demons. The whole city is committed not to the true and living God, but to demons. And how do I know that? In 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 28. 1 Kings 12, verse 28. I'll let you turn there so you can see it yourself and see the connection of Bethel and why Elisha going to Bethel is a big deal. Elisha knows that Bethel used to be the house of God. But now it's the center of idolatry. It's the center of demon worship. Verse 28 of chapter 12, 1 Kings. Therefore, the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. Oh, my goodness. And he set one up in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin. And when the people went to worship before the one, as far as Dan, he made shrines on the high places. And he made priests from every class of people who were not the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordered a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel, he installed priests of the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month, in the month which he devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. So what happens here? Is, is as when the, just David was king and then Solomon was king and then God said, I'm taking the kingdom away from Solomon. So the nation of Israel was split between Israel and Judah. And Israel, they, this is what happened then. Israel went off to the north and they said, we're done with God that brought us up out of Egypt. And they worshiped cat, the idol of, of calves, like baby cows, which are the least cool of all the gods, I think. Nobody's like, we are the calves. You know, you don't have football teams that are calves. Maybe the Browns are, maybe that's their, because that's how they play. I mean, I'm not from Cleveland. I don't know anyone from, from Cleveland, so they can be offended. I don't know. <laughs> well, anyway, the, it, notice all the things he does. He tries to imitate the worship of God. He, he has priests, and he, he sets up a feast, but it's all things he devised in his own heart. These are not days that God said to have feasts. It, these aren't that at all. And, and, and he just does all this in his own. And so the men of Bethel are now enemies of God because they're worshiping another God. Idolatry. 
And get this, the men of Bethel lived that way for years and then generations and generations and they taught their children to hate God. They taught their children to hate God. They taught them to have contempt for God and for God's people and God's servants. And this is what happens. The adults grow evil and they teach it to their kids. It gets passed on from generation to generation. Every night at the dinner table, the evil men of Bethel would talk about their false religion, their false gods, their false histories, their false priests, and even their false churches. And they did not worship God, the true and living God. And it says that Elisha was going up there, and as he journeyed, some youths came from the city and mocked him. Why do you think they did that? And they said to him, go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. I was going to make funny about you being bald, but okay. I, it's there. Now, the Hebrew is little children which is it's even more striking in this story. They came and mocked him. What do little children repeat? Everything. <laughs> I love that answer. Everything they hear, they repeat. They don't have a lot of their own ideas. Their minds are empty, and their parents are pouring into them rebellion against God. They've been conditioned to hate God. Because the, their thing is these calves. That's who they pray to. That's who they worship. They've been conditioned to hate and mock the servants of God. They've seen their parents hate God and Elisha and Elijah, and they just follow what their parents have done. They have no discretion, and so they even make fun of his hair. They sing a song to mock him. They make up a jig. They're not acting on their own, though. These aren't just some innocent boys playing around. They are partaking of their family's solid commitment to rebel against God and to hate his servants. Why do most people in this world hate God? Because their parents taught them to. Their parents had no reverence for God, and they grew up thinking that's just the way life is. Those Christians, those Whatever they are, they, they don't know. And they hear stories about us. You know, in the first days, what, they said, what the government said about Christians is that we were cannibals. Because we had communion and we talked about the body and blood of Christ. They didn't know. Okay, and then, a few years later, Nero burns down Rome and he blames who? The Christians. Because we always talked about being on fire for Jesus. That's true. And he said, oh, the Christians must have done it because they're always on fire. Why do people hate God? Because they were taught to. These were supposed to be God's people in Bethel. These are Jews saved by God from Egypt. And they're rebelling against him. Now they're so committed to a stupid statue and they've gone generations with, without a real relationship with the true and living God. They even had the scriptures. They had the Bible, the Old Testament, well, you know, what was there at that time. They had the Torah, 
They, like Psalm 105 that says, do not touch my anointed ones and do, not, and do my prophets no harm. That was a verse that they knew. And we need to understand that we're probably going to go through the same thing in our life. Matthew 10.10, Jesus said, whoever receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Okay? So people are going to reject you because they reject Jesus, and that's just how life is going to happen. So how, how, so what happens? Let's see. In, in verse 24, so he turns around, looks at them, pronounces a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled the 42 youths. Well, what do we do with this? We can either say that it's true and God did judge these children and their parents for the wickedness and sin. Or we can minimize it and say God was either wrong or we can say Elisha was wrong, but God is never wrong. And Elisha would not have been able to curse them if God didn't actually send the bears. So God is saying, Elisha, you were right to send the bears or to curse them supernaturally. So God lets everyone know that Elisha was right in doing this. So is this how we're supposed to act when people make fun of us? VK's like, yeah, bears, beats, and Battlestar Galactica. No, what we need to do here is we need to look at the spiritual meaning. This was a real story, and God really judged these people with bears, but what's, uh, what's the spiritual meaning for us? We don't, not, we don't need to try to defend the Word of God. It's just fine on its own. Okay, You don't need to try to change it or say, you know, try to minimize what happened. God judged them because they were evil. Period. Done. Our job is simply to tremble at the word of God and to know that it will judge us in the end. We don't decide what parts of the Bible we like and what we don't like. You, you can't even decide what you understand and what you don't understand because God says, I will give you understanding if you pray. If you seek me, I will give you a heart that can understand it. A lot of you have a hard time reading the Bible. A lot of us. There was many years I went through and I said, I don't understand what's going on here. But you just... Do it in faith, and you ask God for a heart that can learn, and it will explode in your mind. It'll explode in your heart. He will teach you what it means. They actually came to Jesus and said, why do you always teach in parables? And Jesus said, oh, good question. It's so that I can hide my truth from people who don't really want to know me, and so that I can reveal my truth to those who really do want to know me. Done. That's why he does it. Our job is simply to tremble at the word of God. Isaiah 66.2 gives us that instruction. For those things my hand has made, and all these thi those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. And Job said, the word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Or excuse me, that's John 12.48. Jesus said, my word which I have spoken will judge them on the last day. So the word judges us. And when you read this and you get angry at God for sending 42, or mauling 42 kids with bears, it's judging you. It's not the other way around. 
It is judging you. And when you read it and your heart says, evil is awful, those parents raise their kids in such a horrible way. We'll get to that in one second. Some might say that God would never act this way in the church age. Just kill someone. That the day time we're living in now is different, okay? Well, I just have one question. Has anyone ever read Acts chapter 5? Because Ananias and Sapphira, they teach us that, no, this still happens. Sometimes God just kills people who sin. It does happen. We should fear sin. Great Fear fell on the church when Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead in the middle of church for giving to the Lord. They just lied in their heart about how much they were giving. That's, that's crazy. I mean, that's, that's intense. So what is God doing here? He's teaching us that he will protect and even avenge you in this world, and we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. In 1 Thessalonians uh, 1.6, it says, It is a righteous thing for God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. God says, it's right for me to repay people who give you a hard time for following me. They're going to get it in the end or now. Guess what we don't get to pick when judgment comes. Sometimes it's at the end. Sometimes it's now. Remember the world that Elisha lived in, okay? The vast majority of people literally hated God. And they deeply resented God, and they couldn't understand or even tolerate God's people. And anyone who stood by God was rejected by society as a whole. We see this in, in 2 Chronicles 36. I'll just reference it for you. 2 Chronicles 36, 16, it says, They mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Wow. So they had been doing this for a long time and this miracle of God mauling the youth is the beginning of God saying, stop or you're going to get it. You are not going to live in rebellion. I'm the boss. You do not get to mock my prophet with no consequences. Wow. God is a loving God and he loves us, his people. But when someone mocks and despises and scoffs at us, our daddy gets angry. I love that. And he will not forget it. Now, does that mean he always stops it? Does that mean lightning is going to start striking people all around you who make fun of you? No, because it says in Psalm 116 that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Sometimes he allows you to go suffer as much as possible, like all the way to death. And he sees it, still makes him angry, but sometimes it's just not time for judgment in his mind. Sometimes he is patient. So when people are beating you and scourging you or whatever the situation is, making fun of you in our day and age. We don't know what's to come in the future. Okay, maybe it got, might get really bad, but we need to understand that they will be judged for that. And But God is being patient at this time if they're not being judged. 
So do we need to be upset? No. What this does is allows us to live with boldness and love in the light of being mocked. Okay? This is the opposite of saying you should call out bears to everyone who thinks you're a weirdo. No. Bear with me. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So it's actually a special honor to be allowed to suffer all the way to death for the Lord. We're specially chosen when that happens. But make no mistake, God will have his revenge. And this is happening right now, even as we sit here in this room. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge, so we start to smell like him, in every place, and we are to God the fragrance of Christ and among those who are being saved. But among those who are perishing, we are the fragrance of death. So to believers, when you walk in the room, they're like, ah, smells like Jesus. You've been hanging out with Jesus, haven't you? Oh, he's so good. We give thanks. We praise. We rejoice. Okay, but when you walk into work, they're like, ugh. It says because we remind them of death that they're going to be condemned because they reject and live in rebellion against the one and true living God. Just by you being there. It's your B.O. To them, it's death. And to God, it's Christ. Your life is Christ. It's amazing. It's just how, how in the, the incense in the temple, remember the days of the temple, would cause the people who were in and out of the temple to smell like they had been with God. That's what incense did. It would get on you, and you would smell like that. So when we are spiritually spending time with the Lord, we begin to smell like him. And that does different things to different people. So we, we, we see here that Elisha turns around, and he looks at them, which means he's not just freaking out. He's not just overreacting. Like, oh, don't make fun of my bald head. You know, He turns around, and he looks at them. He assesses the situation, and he pronounces a curse in the name of the Lord, and these two female bears come out and maul the 42 youths. A curse. Well, didn't we talk about a curse last week? Didn't we talk about how the, the land of Jericho was cursed because of their rebellion against God, but God was willing to heal that curse with the life of Jesus Christ? The life, the salt, which represents the life of Jesus. So here we see that these guys get the curse. They get the curse. They don't have the curse healed. They get the curse. God was willing to take our curse away even though we don't deserve a thing. But now we see the opposite effect is happening to anyone who rejects Jesus and mocks his salvation and the message of his servants, which is the gospel. Just like in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul said, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be cursed. O Lord, come. That's that verse. Paul said that. A lot of people think that God is like the U.S. government, that he is here to serve you. I don't even know if that's how the government works. But it's supposed to. Okay, the government's supposed to serve us. Public servants, they're supposed to serve the people by representing them, whatever. Okay? A lot of people think God is here to serve you. But it's not, that's not how it works with God. We are there to serve God in this world, in this universe. 
People in this country seem to think that you can accept his help or not. Like, oh, I can take food stamps or not. It's up to me. That you're free to do whatever you want and there will never be any consequences of your choices. In fact, that's the big thing in this world is freedom in America. Make your choices and there should be never any consequences for your choices. And that's not reality. Of course there are consequences for choices. But they don't understand in our world, we don't understand that this is a war. God is bringing his kingdom on earth. He is taking over the earth by force. And the weapons of his warfare just happen to be love. And those who resist and rebel will be judged and will be destroyed. Those who don't choose to honor and receive his son Jesus will be condemned as the worst of all sinners. They have offended the all-powerful king, by taking his son and spitting on him in his offer of salvation. There is no moral mandate for God to be nice to people who reject his son. No. Therefore, siding with the enemy of God. That's what happens when you reject Jesus is you're saying, I want to be with Satan. That's my team. That's who I want to be aligned with, the rebel, the rebel, the one who rebels against God. You either choose Jesus or Satan. And the fact that we have this story and all the other stories about God's government, God's judgment, like the flood and, Adam, and, the, and the Tower of Babel and Adam and Eve, all these stories, they actually show us the mercy of God. He doesn't want to have to punish Everybody, so he chooses to punish some people really crazy so that we would wake up and say, I don't want to be eaten by bears. Dana bought me this shirt when she was at the woman's retreat that says, what doesn't kill you doesn't make you stronger. And then it has a picture of a giant bear. And then it says, except for bears, bears will kill you. I should have worn it today. Oh, why didn't I wear that shirt today? Fail. Pastor Sean, fail. Okay. We don't want to live that way. We don't want to be judged that way. He wants to make us righteous. He has made a way and provided his son to achieve the salvation. And when people hear about that judgment, they always have an opportunity to, to change teams, to receive his salvation. Every time they hear about it. Christians are not just nice to everybody so that they hopefully decide to choose our God over their fun, sinful lives. That's not how this is supposed to work. Christians are warriors who are resisting the rebellion of this world and loving in the way that a soldier fights for innocent lives of civilians. Just imagine World War II and a soldier pulling someone out of it. This is going to be bombed, people. Get out now. That's to be the message of a Christian. God's judgment is something that we need to be skilled in explaining and teaching people about. Not shying away from. The world is not scared of God right now, and they should be. I'm not scared of God, and I should be more. The fear of God produces righteousness and righteous living. Hmm. 
We have to take responsibility to preach the salvation like a soldier winning lives and a warrior fighting. And if people don't know what they're being saved from, they're never going to respond to an offer of salvation. Like we need to know that there's a law and we need to be able to explain to people, you have broken the law. Look at these Ten Commandments with me. Just look at them. Okay, this one, have you kept that? Have you broken that one? That makes you a lawbreaker, which means you offended God and you deserve hell because all lawbreakers cannot be in the sight of a perfect God. Simple. It took me five seconds. I explained to all of you that you're sinners. Easy. When people know that, and when you take some time to lovingly explain that to people, they can be, they, they can be in a good place to hear an offer of salvation. It helps them to be able to understand what they need to be saved from. And then you explain that, yes, you're a dirty, rotten sinner in love. But Jesus, but Jesus loves you so much that he gave his own life for you. We in this country have no real threat of enemies right now. There's some out there, but not really. But people need to know that God is their enemy. And he's so much more scary than Kim Jong-il. And they need to put their faith in him. God does not love sin. God hates sin. He, He loves sinners, but he hates sin. And because of sinners' sin, he is at war with them. And people need to fear God. And then his offer of mercy will make sense to them. Okay, in Psalm 5, verse 4, these are verses I'm going to read to you, a couple verses right now that are going to freak you out because Americans don't talk about these verses. But listen to this. You are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. You, The boastful shall not stand in your sight, and you hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy them who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the blood for thirsty and deceitful men. Whoa. God hates you? That's real. That's real. Uh, Psalm 11.5, The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. You don't hear that at church very much. Yet this doesn't take away from his love. See, he actually does love perfectly, and he can hate perfectly. We can't do such a thing. When we love, it's always kind of mixed with a little selfishness in there. Okay, and when we hate, it's definitely sinful. Okay, but he is actually righteous in how he does these things. So what does all this teach us? Romans 12, 11, 22, excuse me, 11, 22 says, Therefore consider the goodness and the severity of God. Both of them. His love and his hate. The goodness and the severity of God. On those who fell, severity. But toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. We read this story of these bears, and we're supposed to fear that God could supernaturally cut you off. Now, am I talking about losing your salvation or something like that? We can have all those discussions. We can talk about that. But there needs to be a part of your heart that is scared of offending God. And if there's not... You need to repent. You need to look at him honestly. 
We need to put ourselves in the position of these sad parents. The parents of Bethel, who aren't even talked about in the story. But you know who this miracle was for? For them. They see the mangled bodies of their children. They suffered the curse because of the rebellious example of their parents. Now their parents are alive and have to live with this. My kids are dead because of my stupid choices, my rebellious choices. And before we think, well, that's crazy, think about this. A parent who drives drunk and kills their kids in a car accident, don't you hold them responsible? It's easy for us to do that, right? Absolutely. They will have grave consequences for their stupid choice. And a parent who lives and teaches his children to hate the true and living God is going to have even worse consequences. That's what this is about. They taught their kids not to fear God. They taught their kids to mock the work of God and the word of God and the promises of God. And their kids only repeated what their parents spoke in their homes. And now the parents see the error of their rebellion. They see that all rebellion leads to death. And God graciously has not killed them yet. He kills their kids and they have a chance to repent. It's actually mercy. He must judge. He must kill sin. But he waits for these parents to give them another chance. They need to change teams. They need to fear the God of heaven and and they have an opportunity as they see these bodies to repent. Satan is their father and their master right now and they have pledged their allegiance to his flag of rebellion. Man, but he's judged Satan is going to lose. There's a, we could go on and on, but I'm going to wrap it up here. They need to change teams. And our last verse we're going to just read real quick is 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. There is no need for anyone to stay in the place where they're going to be judged. And if your kids haven't been killed yet and you're a rebel, repent now so they don't have to be. Change teams now. It becomes new the moment you turn to Christ in faith. Just repent and believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he did what we're told he did. Our sins are washed away by faith in what he did. Not by any actions. It's an instant change of teams. Instead of holding that flag of rebellion high and saying, I live in Bethel and we worship stupid cows. I'm an American and I do what I want and life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness is what I flag my flag. I do what I want. I don't need God. If we change flags, instead we raise a white flag of surrender, you're all. See what I did there? That's it, guys. We have a choice. To live our lives with surrender or to live our lives, you know, in rebellion. And God is always offering us to change sides, to surrender even more of our lives and our hearts. Would you guys stand with me?